Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. You are listening to the Gospel Addict Podcast, where we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. But we also interview people whose lives have been changed by the gospel. On today's episode, it's my privilege to interview Bob Bevington, who went from being an eye doctor to a best-selling Christian author. Uh, one of the best-selling books that he's written is called The Bookends of the Christian Life, which he co-authored with Jerry Bridges. Welcome to the show, Bob. And if you don't mind, take a few moments and just introduce yourself to our audience who might be asking, who is Bob Bevington? <laughs> okay, Greg. Um, number one, Bob Bevington is a, a friend of Greg Bryan. And Greg's had a really wonderful role in my life. He introduced me to one of the most important people I've ever met, and that's Jerry Bridges. Jerry, of course, is co-author of the book that we're going to discuss today, and also another book that he and I co-authored called The Great Exchange. But yeah, I'm a friend of Greg Bryan, number one. Number two, I'm a, a person who um, the Lord opened my eyes back when I was 16, and um, it's been uh, quite a journey ever since. Had its ups and downs, some significant downs along the way. And um, it turns out the genesis of this book, The Bookends of the Christian Life, really defines um, the big turnaround in my life. And that is when I learned the real meaning of the gospel. And uh, previously, I thought I knew the gospel. And uh, your listeners probably know that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to Z. You probably, I've listened to your podcast, so I know that um, Tim Keller may have made that popular, but there's many, many people learn the hard way that uh, you don't um, start the Christian life um, with the cross and the resurrection and then spend the rest of your Christian life sanctifying yourself by your white knuckle willpower. And that's something that um, I did. And um, I was actually led to do that. Um, and it, it resulted in a lot of frustration, a lot of heartache, a lot of failure. And, um, and so when I learned that the gospel is the A to Z, the way I learned it was Jerry Bridges taught it to me through the material that became this book. And, uh, but anyway, who am I? A little bit more than that is I am an optometrist. I graduated from the Ohio State College of Optometry, 1980. I practiced full-time uh, you know, for 15, 20 years. I started a LASIK company and, uh, in 1998 and sold that in 2001. Then I sold all my practices, which were four in number. And then I had a lot of time on my hands because I got uh, my schedule, which by the way, I still see patients a day and a half a week. I got it down to a day and a half a week in 2001. And that's when I started um, having long, many hours, long, quiet times <laughs> with the Lord uh, until I landed in some other kinds of businesses and startup companies and this and that. But I do consulting. Um, I've had five books that are published, four by conventional publishers, one self-published book called Regarding Jesus. Um, and who am I? I'm just a no good, low down sinner who's saved by grace and covered by the righteousness of Christ. And I couldn't be happier. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm just the happiest guy, you know, other than yourself, Greg. That's great. Um, talk about how you met Jerry Bridges and the impact that he's had on your life. And maybe, maybe even some people may not even know who Jerry Bridges is. Okay. So uh, the story goes, that the legend goes, that um, Greg and I were friends. We met at a wedding of a, of a mutual friend from the Navigators. 
And uh, we started getting together for lunch and uh, really enjoying one another. This was what year would that have been, Greg? I knew you were going to ask me that early 2000s, I think. About, yeah, 2002, somewhere around there. At any rate, uh, you and I would flip books back and forth to each other. When we read a good book, we'd share it and uh, usually give each other a copy. And I read The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And you came over, and I'll never forget, I flipped you that book, and you're like, Jerry Bridges? I know Jerry Bridges. I could bring him to Kent State anytime I went to. I just have to send him a plane ticket. I said, buddy, where do I sign? <laughs> and I sponsored the trip. And so uh, when Jerry came to town, you had a little dinner party over at your house. And uh, that's where I met Jerry Bridges. And by the way, Jerry Bridges, well-known best-selling, I mean, truly best-selling, not like me when you use that word regarding, regarding myself, but. Well, when I say you're a best-selling, when I say you're a best-selling author, I've heard that 90, 95% of all books never sell more than 5,000 copies. And, and uh, this book ends of the Christian life is sell well, well beyond that. So I consider you a best-selling author. I mean, it, 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 it has surpassed that criterion. Uh, but anyway, Jerry, okay. So he had the pursuit of holiness has sold the date over 2 million copies. He also wrote uh, Trusting God, Even When Life Hurts, sold over a million copies. And then he has another mere 30 more books or so. <laughs> and uh, at any rate, so I, I knew about that. And uh, so I was excited to meet Jerry. So I walked into your house, Greg, with, with this dinner party. And Jerry and I were like two magnets and we started talking. And I literally had to force myself to pull myself away from him because um, other people <laughs> needed to be introduced to him other than me. But then I was fortunate enough, uh, we had planned a bunch of stuff. One was a, a talk at Kent State where it was advertised um, all over campus. There's, I don't know, a couple hundred people at that in the auditorium there at Kent State. Um, then he spoke at the Gospel Co or the um, Chapel Co Coalition of Consortium consortium of churches yeah like 120 churches he spoke at that and then um he, he spoke did something at your house yeah a fireside chat with jerry bridges with 50 of my closest friends <laughs> what a great night that was um and then i got to take him to the airport in the morning well i picked him up at your house i'm thinking i've got him in my car for a half an hour you know, with a captive audience with me. And I thought I can ask him anything I want. So I prayed, I said, Lord, what should I ask Jerry Bridges, you know, since I've got this time. And it came to me to ask him to pray because it was like six o'clock in the morning. I said, Jerry, would you pray just as though you were alone with the Lord in the morning and just pretend like I'm not here, but would you pray aloud? He goes, okay. It was so cool because I saw him and heard him apply exactly what he'd been teaching. He started with his little circle that where you know your family and the people he just left and the people he spoke to the night before and then it expanded out a circle that included his family and on both coasts or in colorado and on the east coast then he was praying for our nation and before i knew it he was praying for the world and i'm like who prays for the world <laughs> you know <laughs> and and he was oh Actually, I, I should I should back up before he prayed anything. He rehearsed the gospel. Hmm. He, he preached the gospel to himself. Yeah. Now, let's let's talk about that. Preaching the gospel to yourself, because that is a big um, thing from Jerry Bridges. And that also is a big part of uh, this Gospel Addict podcast is that we don't move on from the gospel. And we need to as believers, as followers of Christ, no matter how solid you are, or how strong you are, you need to preach the gospel to yourself daily. So let's talk about that. What was that like? Well, you know, you, you start off with your sins, you know, and and your current sins since the last time you prayed. Now, Jerry Bridges, you know, sin to him is a little different than like you and me. OK, I mean, uh, his idea of sin is being anxious at the baggage claim that his baggage isn't going to come to him. That's a horrible sin. Like, I've had him call me from halfway around the world to ask for prayer because he and I later became prayer partners. And uh, and he was all upset one day, and, and I'm like, Jerry, what's wrong? And he was upset with himself because he he was nervous about his bags not showing up. I mean, to him, that's a uh, but you know, 
to him. I mean, it is sin, right? It, whatever is not of faith is sin. So anyway, he would then uh, he then took it to the cross. He said, "Lord, you know, here I've sinned, but I know that you are all sufficient as my sin bearer. You not only bore my sin, you bore my guilt, you bore my shame, you bore the curse of God, the wrath of God for my sin." And um, this is the path of his thinking. And then he emerged from that into what I started out, and that is these concentric circles. Mm. But, um, it, was, it was very profound to see him applying uh, his own teaching. And I later found out that he divides the world into six days, and he has a little map that he carried around everywhere. And he prays for one-sixth of the world each of those, on each of those six days of the week. <laughs> But uh, at any rate, that that uh, that was that experience. We got to the airport. His his plane was delayed, so I got another hour and a half with him. I started to lay out, you know, what I saw as, as my my failure to learn how to change. And I told him I wanted to learn how to change, and so um, I kind of left it like that. It turns out that a month later, my wife and I were already planning to attend a marriage getaway at the Glen Erie in, in Colorado Springs. Guess who the speaker was? Jerry, Jerry Bridges. Bridges. <laughs> Two days, we got to hear him. Guess what he spoke on? The How to book. change. Oh, the bookends. Bookends of the Christian life. Yeah. And so he gave uh, two messages, uh, one on each bookend. And then he and I got together and he said, hey, I'm going to be back in Ohio the next month. Why don't you and I get together? And spend the afternoon together. I'm like, okay. And so I came, Greg, with a legal pad full of questions about how to change. And I sat there and I'd ask him a question about how to change. And he'd flip it right back to the gospel. And I'm like, no, no, I get the gospel. I understand the gospel. And, and then he would, I'd ask him the next question. And he would answer it really briefly. And then he flipped it right back to the gospel. And I got kind of frustrated because I'm like, why does he keep doing that? You know, I get the gospel. So I got in my car and I'm starting to drive home. And it hit me that he said that, that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that just, that statement just washed over me that I'm clothed. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ that was lived in the flesh by the son of God who never sinned. But that's not the whole point though. The other part of that point is he did it in my place as my substitute. He provided a substitutionary righteousness on behalf of his people. And we stand in that righteousness. We're clothed by it. And um, I started weeping, Greg. I started losing it. I'm driving 60 miles an hour or whatever, and I can't even see because I'm tears are blocking my vision. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're going to crash into a brick wall. And then I, I said, I don't even care. I don't care if I crash into a brick wall because I was so blown away by this. It finally, the light came on and, um, and you were starting to change like from inside out, you, yeah. you learned the truth and the truth was changing you from the inside out. And that's again, why this is so powerful. I, I think so many Christians, and I think the purpose of this podcast is to reach people who are like you said at the beginning, frustrated, kind of like they, they want to change, but their, their, their whole approach to change is outside in. Yeah. Is it's 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 like doing more stuff, doing more Christian activities. Yeah, I was a legalistic Christian. I'm I'm like, okay, the Christian life is do this, don't do that. I mean, yeah, you know, I believed in his sacrifice on the cross, but then the rest of it is, what do I do? And I just burden and burden and burden myself down with all this. I burdened other people too, as I tried to lead them, and I didn't understand. Um, and of course, this book, when we get to you know, the actual book, that's what this book is all about. Gospel enemy number one, chapter three is self-righteousness. Um, gospel enemy number three, chapter nine, self-reliance. So this is who I was. I was self-reliant. I was kind of God-reliant, but just lip service, okay? I was really reliant on me and my white-knuckle willpower. And guess what? He mercifully did not allow that to work. He mercifully let me fall on my face. And in, in, in big ways, you know, that, that happened prior to this episode with Jerry. But um, I was, uh, hey, the, the, the ground was tilled, <laughs> plowed and ready to receive grace and ready to receive the truth of the gospel 
as really the, the power that God uses to cause change in our life. That's 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 interesting because do you think that if you would have met Jerry like let's say a couple of years prior, like when you were in that legalistic um, framework and doing well, because I think that a lot of times the danger of legalism is on the one side, you, you know, you you never live up and you feel like a constant failure, but there is a side where you can actually be feel kind of successful at it. Yeah. Do you think there's a time when you would have met Jerry and been like, oh, yeah, he's a nice guy, good guy? Um, I'll tell you what, I have no doubt about it. You know, I kicked back, was making a lot of money, you know, had all kinds of stuff. And everybody, you know, I go to my office and people are like, oh, you know, and it's like you start believing this, these lies, you know, that you're that you're all that and the bag of chips, you know, and you're not. You're, you're nothing but a desperate. I am nothing but a desperate sinner. And so is everyone connected to Adam. And so we, we need a savior and there is only one. And then, uh, when, so what happened after that, you, so you, you were talking about, you were in tears and what talk, talk oh, a little bit so, about. Yeah. So I, I got a hold of Jerry. I'm like, Jerry, I go, let me tell you what happened after I left. So he starts sending me books. He wanted me to read these books. Guess what? All old dead guy books. Not one author was alive, including himself. He didn't send me one one of his books. He didn't tell me to read any of his books. He wanted me to read John Owen and all these guys, you know. That and uh, the one book that he really, really wanted me to read. It turns out it was out of print. It's John Owen, um, Sin and Temptation. It actually was two separate books. But uh, guess what he did? He photocopied his copy of the book with his notes in the margin. I still have it. Yeah. Wow. He sent me a photocopy in a loose leaf note binder. And that's where I, you know, that book fortunately was later uh, retranslated by Crossway Publishing, uh, Justin Taylor and Kelly Capick. Uh, it's called um, Sin and Temptation. Uh, well, maybe Overcoming Sin and Temptation, I mean. And, um, but, you know, this is where, you know, the rubber hit the road with me to figure out. And, and, you know, again, it's all in this little book. I mean, this, this little book, the book ends of the Christian life. It's designed to be read in under three hours. I mean, it's only like 100 and, I don't know, 120, 100, 140 some pages, but it's just a tiny little book. <laughs> and we crammed in the whole Christian life and all, all of Owen's writing as best we could into that little, because, you know, people don't read these big, thick old dead guy books too much anymore, you know, even though they're the best ones. So one of the things I hear you saying is that Jerry, um, began to mentor you began to disciple you yeah yes i he, mean how lucky are you man to have that experience well, i mean i was yeah. friends with them i had many dinners with them and i lo love the guy i mean he's with the lord now but um and uh you know I, but you had a unique experience with him you had a unique connection which is really cool yeah i, I think the lord just you know opened that opportunity up and you know, yeah, he, he definitely mentored me um, prior to any of this happening. Let me think. Yeah, so I would travel around with him sometimes. He taught a seminary class called The Transforming Power of the Gospel. It became a book by that same title. And uh, it was a week-long seminary class. And I turned that class into a 100-page content syllabus so nobody would have to take notes. And that, that was, by the way, I'd really recommend that book, The Transforming Power of the Gospel by Jerry Bridges. Um, and it was after that, I handed him over this 100 pages, and I go, now what should I do? You know, as my mentor, I'm asking him, know, what should I do now? Because it took me about three months of working almost every day to get that thing done. He goes, why don't you rewrite Smeaton? Well, Smeaton was Jerry's favorite book outside the Bible. He had challenged thousands and thousands of people, wherever he went all over the world, he would, every time he spoke, he would mention the Apostles' Doctrine of the Atonement by George Smeaton as his favorite book outside the Bible, 19th century Scottish theologian. I got that book. I just devoured it. I wore out highlighters. I highlighted more words than I didn't highlight. Now, that's ridiculous, right? But that's every time I read a sentence that I liked, I highlighted it. So anyway, the first book that he and I wrote together was The Great Exchange, My Sin for His Righteousness, and it's a rewrite of Smeaton. And then that book was published by Crossway in 2007. And then this book, the, the book ends of the Christian life was pro, um, published by Crossway two years later. 
but that that's all the background you know um that led up to us you know deciding you know to take this i mean the first thing he taught me you know that's that's what this book is so you didn't necessarily set out to to write a book it kind of came in the in in sort of this uh relationship you had with jerry bridges it sort of happened as he was kind of mentoring you um i mean was there a point where you said you know what i want to be a writer so i'd always felt like you know i had some writing in me my dad was a bit of a journalism type writer uh, he majored in journalism, you know, my college undergrad in pre-med at Ohio State, you know, I did well in uh, writing and uh, I liked it. In fact, my my freshman uh, composition teacher at Ohio State begged me to get out of pre-med and go into writing, you know. And so I kind of never forgot that, but I didn't I didn't go in that direction. But I, I started to write screenplays in my late 20s and I wrote three screenplays and took screenwriting lessons and had a coach and everything. And I thought screenwriting is where I wanted to go, but man, that's a really hard, that's a hard club to break into. You know, there's maybe 250 people are in that club worldwide at any given time. So at any rate, um, when, um, when he, he was the one who said, why don't you rewrite Smeaton, which I did, I wrote that whole book. And then, Crossway would have published it because <laughs> of my name. You know, they they take a risk on your name. I didn't have any, you know, any, any track record. It's like a chicken and an egg problem with getting books published. And so um, the idea came that Jerry and I would be co-authors. And Jerry's like, well, I didn't write the book. You did. I'm like, yeah, what good does that do if nobody reads it, you know? And so um, he ended up writing the the introduction to The Great Exchange and then Crossway published it. And then once that was done, Crossway didn't, feel like there was really a lot of risk of he and I being co-authors. So this, this book here was the easy slam dunk for them. They, they, uh, the bookends, uh, you know, they didn't scratch their head very long. And then besides it's a short kind of popular type book. It's not an academic book. The, the great exchange covers every verse in the new Testament that deals with the death of Christ. And it's a very academic kind of book, like a theologian book. Whereas this, the bookends of the Christian life is a popular application of the idea of the, the gospel. And did, how it it take, did it take about the same amount of time to write both books or? No, no, the great exchange took a year of working, yeah, three, four days a week. Uh, the bookends, you know, he wrote half of it. Well, he wrote out of the 10 chapters, he wrote four of the, of the 10 chapters. I wrote six. I was able to write uh, each chapter in about a month. So I got like, but but you had a lot of the, but this was a lot of those. That's because a lot of the foundational work of the research and stuff had been already done, right? Because he'd been teaching it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this. I mean, this. A lot of this came right out of his lectures. You know, that first uh, weekend at the marriage getaway. I mean, it's it uh, it was really pretty easy, Greg, because you know he'd been teaching it. He'd been teaching it to me. He'd been teaching it all over the world this this bookends you know uh lecture series that he had and uh yeah so it, it really kind of flowed you know he he wrote the chapter one and two i wrote no he wrote one two six and seven it's fun to see if anyone who knows him and me can figure out who wrote which one because they really you, i made my voice sound like his my writing uh-huh. voice and uh in fact everything i've written i try to sound like him he 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 writes just as though you're hearing him talk. And I find that's a, that's a good way. That's a good, you know, goal when you're writing is to try to, you know, you know look, people have a hard enough time reading already, right? If you make it more difficult by sounding like you're writing down to somebody, you know, you want to get on their same level. If you have anybody that wants to be a writer, that's, that's one thing I'd recommend is strive to just be eyeball to eyeball with your audience. You're the same mm-hmm. anyway, right? You get, you know, so that's good. That's good advice. When do you, when you're in the zone, does writing energize you, or is it exhaust exhaust you at times, <laughs> or both? Yeah, both, yeah. You know, nothing energizes me like writing. Uh, it's the most challenging thing I do, um, by far. You know, it's it's hard, 
but also it's because it's so challenging i have to rely on the holy spirit to enable me to do it um and when when i'm aware that the holy spirit's enabled me it's really exhilarating and by the way what i my habit is i would write for you know most of a day the morning would be the best the afternoon i'd get a little exhausted maybe do research in the afternoon but then i wouldn't look at it till the next morning and then the next morning i would look at it sometimes i'm like this is awful. I'm just throwing this in the trash. And other times I'm like, who even wrote this? And, I, and I'm like, I, I know I was enabled because I, I don't even hardly recognize it, you know? And so uh, that's exhilarating. But, you know, most afternoons, I mean, I literally have to lay down, you know, I'm not mentally, I'm not a mental giant or anything. So, you know, I, I don't have that much capacity. So I would spend my capacity. That's why I get up real early. And I still do. I just love that morning time where I'm fresh. And uh, did you ever go through a time of like writing block? Yeah. Where so, like, how long did it last? And what was that like for you? So it was the great exchange, you know, went right through the new Testament, you know, so I got to the edge of the, of Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews at the beginning of a summer. And I, you know, Hebrews, honestly, that book is not that easy, right? Cause you got to really understand the whole Old Testament I felt overwhelmed and I had a writer's block. I think you would call it that for a couple of months. And I, you know what I did? I just read the book of Hebrews over and over again. I, I listened to John Piper, you know, he's really famous for his series on Romans. He's got like 230 messages. He preaches every word in Romans. It's called the greatest book ever written. It's, it's probably one of the best things I've ever done uh, is listening to those messages, but people don't realize it. he's got one on Hebrews too. And his Hebrews one has got eh, maybe half as many, mess, maybe like 80 or 90 messages. But I listened to that and then I was scared to death and I didn't think I could do it. And and um, yeah, I really relied on the enabling power of the spirit and people that have read that book. Mostly, most of the time, they'll say the, the chapter on Hebrews is the best chapter of that book. And again, it's because God, the spirit enabled it, you know. But yeah, that was a, a memorable writer's block for a couple of, all because of fear. You know, I, was, I just, I knew I couldn't do it. And, uh, and I was afraid to step up. And, and yet when the, when the summer was over and school started, there I was, you know. That's cool. Uh, a couple more questions about writing and then we're going to, then we're going to dive into just this book in particular. But um, do you have any early on or do you, do you have any interesting writing quirk? <laughs> well, yeah, back, you know, the, some of the books I've read, you know, get your lucky socks on, stuff like that. You know, it's like some of, <laughs> some of, the, you know, some of that stuff early. I used to have this uh, outdoor man cave, you know, that I would write in. You know, I had like this ritual and all that, but you know, it's kind of Mickey Mouse, you know. I mean, really, it's about is the Lord going to show up and enable you or not? And you can't, it's not like rubbing a magic genie. I mean, Sometimes he doesn't show up and sometimes he does. And it's like, I just have to show up and be there and uh, pray and ask and seek. And, and, you know, um, the outcome is up to him, but no, I mean, for the first, I started writing, it would have been in 2005. So it's been a number of years, but now if I go to sit down to write, um, not really, I, I do need some quiet. I mean, I can't have like music playing and, phone calls and social media. I mean, I can't, all that stuff's got to be shut off, you know, uh, that makes sense. other than that, not really. <laughs> that makes sense. That's hard to do in this, this day and age. Yeah. Hey, what's one of the most surprising things you've learned in creating your books? Hmm. Surprising. I don't know. I mean, I, you put so much time into it that I don't think there's a whole lot of surprises. Uh, maybe, you know, I'm always surprised when somebody comes up to me and goes, you know, that book, you know, God really used that book in my life. And, you know, whenever you hear all that, you know, maybe if, if you know any writers, you know, most writers are not real encouraged, you know, like it's not like they're like setting the world on fire. You know, there are some like Jerry, but you know, there, there, there's a handful of those, but I'm always surprised. You know, I, I had one, Joe Coffey and I wrote a book called Red Like Blood. I had a, a man and woman come up to me and they said, God used your book to save our marriage. And I'm like, what? Wow. 
wait, what book are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so stuff like that is probably the only real surprising thing. I mean, it's not surprising to me that it you know, takes a long time and it's work. It's hard, you know, um, and, the, and, you know, the, the, you know, I can't feed my family with royalties from these books. You know, I mean, some authors can, but, you know, I've always had side hustles that, you know, whether it's being an eye doctor or whatever it is that, that keep the, the roof over our heads. But so you're not in it for the, you're not in it for the money. Necessarily. Never will. No, well, um, do you hear from your readers much? Yeah. I mean, it's fun, you know, to, to hear from, I heard one uh, from one this morning. He, he, he wanted uh, to know where he could get some more copies of Regarding Jesus, which that's my self-published book that's you know pretty much sold out. It was, there was only 3,000 copies printed, and, and they were pretty much gone. I saved a couple cases back for myself. But, yeah, I, you know, I heard from him. He's like, oh, we need it for our, our new men's group. And, and um, yeah, I mean, look, it's just a way to, to honor the Lord, you know, it's, it's a way to put the truth out there. There's lots of ways like your podcast, Greg. I mean, you know what it's like. I mean, you put it out there and you don't know what the, you're, you're scattering seed, you know, and you don't know what, what's going to come of it. That's true. I, I was looking at some of your reviews um, specifically on the book. We're going to talk about in, in detail. And uh, uh, one person said, I've read this small treasure at least three times and used it in one-on-one -on -one discipling twice. And, it, and it's been part of a Bible study uh, using this gem. You can pick it up, turn to almost any page, and just have it speak to your heart and mind. I mean, it's there's some really, really awesome reviews out there. It's really cool. So my last question before we actually dive into the content of the book, which I definitely want to get there because that's that's really, you know, the the, the power of the understanding the power of the this illustration of the bookends which i want you to explain to us before we get into the specifics um is what do you, what does literary success look like to you hmm. well literary success is when the lord's will is done you know i mean it's just that simple i mean it's if, if, for example, the person you just read that review, I mean, if if this man or woman is is um, led closer to to the triune God, led into deeper into truth, you know, applying truth, getting rid of lies, you know, um, then that's to me that's success, right? I mean. You know, I took this book, I turned it into a, a seminar, by the way, I got a I think it's a six hour seminar that I've done around the country on this book. It kind of fizzled out after the book, you know, came out after a few years, but, you know, going around like that, you know, I mean, it's nice, you know, to do it face to face like that. That's probably what this person's talking about, you know, to go through this content face to face. Also Susan Beebe from our church, Christ community chapel, she put a study guide out. She took it on herself and got crossways permission so if you go to amazon.com and type in the bookends of the Christian life workbook, uh, that book's out there. So there's, you know, it's another tool to kind of go a little bit deeper. That's cool. Let's talk about the actual book itself. Um, the bookends of the Christian life, obviously, even what I love about it is even in the title, you can tell it's like, it's, it's an illustration. It's mm -hmm. based on an illustration. So tell us the illustration as a whole, and then let's dive into the specifics of uh, the content. So it's a metaphor for the entire Christian life, and the books are all the stuff that you do. It's all your activities, the the way you use your time. You know, it's 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 the the feet on the ground part of your of your daily life, and the idea is that your books need to be in between two bookends. The first bookend is the righteousness of Christ. And the second bookend is the power of the Holy Spirit. The righteousness of Christ is another way of saying the gospel. And um, it's a particular aspect of the gospel that is not emphasized enough, um, but it's, it's all there. In, in Christ's own righteousness, in being obedient, to come to this earth, you know, after being sent by his father and then to voluntarily step into our skin. Okay. That was obedience. That's right. The righteousness of Christ starts right there. It, it continues with his sinless life. 
but his sinless life and his righteousness is in our place as our substitute. So the first bookend is the righteousness of Christ as a way of saying the gospel, the good news of the righteousness of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit, you could say the power of Christ, the power of God. We chose to say the power of the Holy Spirit because in the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit's role is to apply the power of the gospel to our lives. So um, in the book, when it get, switches to the second book and right off the bat, it explains you know, why we chose to call it the power of the Holy Spirit. But it turns out that, you know, our books are in between. And if we fail to rely on, okay, so the key is these books are leaning, right? Leaning and relying on these two bookends. And if the bookends fail to control <laughs> those books, they fall off the shelf. So if you if you are out there, you know, living the Christian life in your own righteousness or trying to live the Christian life in your own power, you're going to fall off the shelf just like I did and fell off my face. It fell on my face, you know, which led to all kinds of things. The culmination in my life was divorce. You know, I mean, just uh, the total failed marriage, you know, sin just got out of control. I lost my way. Well, the book was falling off the shelf, you know. And that's why, you know, um, when Jerry first, you know, talked about this and uh, revealed this little simple metaphor, it's why it meant so much to me. But yeah, so when, we got when that when that happened, um, the the time when you, did Jerry come into your life right at the time when you were still kind of um, overcoming uh, the that failure of the, you know, you're still processing or still. Well, no. So um, in, two, in uh, 1997 is when I got divorced and remarried to my current wife. By the way, we've just celebrated 25 years of marriage, uh, Amy and I, um, my second marriage. Um, but no, I had uh, first been introduced to, to the gospel not not the way I did with not the way that happened with Jerry, but um, it had happened about a year or two earlier. Is the first time I, I well, it was a book by John Piper called Desiring God that really kind of woke me up, and I'm like, something you know, something's really wrong here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think you and I met in the wake of that, and then I you know we yeah. started reading some good books, and then yeah, so. I, I, I kind of had a hint, you know, but I didn't, it did not really all come together until I heard this series of messages, um, these two messages actually on the bookends and then from there. But yeah, the, you know, again, legalism, you know, if, if your listeners struggle with approaching God saying, you know what, God, you owe me because guess what I did? You know, I didn't do this. Oh, I did do this. I gave, I served, or I, you know, I, I had my quiet time. And so you got to bless me. Okay. That's self-righteousness. Okay. Um, the other side of that coin is persistent guilt where it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to run around with a hangdog look because of my guilt, because, you know, the, the, the righteousness of Christ is, is great, but you know what? It's not quite enough. I got to add my own righteousness to it. And since I failed to add my own righteousness, you know, uh, I've got to bear my own guilt and my guilt bearing savior didn't bear it all. I got to bear some of it myself. That's a form of self-righteousness. And uh, your partner, Jim Resky, knows this very well from his illustration. Same thing that he has a little bit different way of different illustration, but um, you could fit that right into the bookends. And so um, when we understand that his righteousness is all sufficient, Greg, it's, it's all we need. And we connect to the righteousness of Christ by faith. And if you don't believe me, take a look at Philippians 3, 9 through 11, and you'll see, you know, that um, we don't we don't bring anything. He brings it all. And then we attach the, the, the hand that connects us to the righteousness of Christ is faith in Christ. And Amen. so that's how we make it our own. And um, Amen. so I, I, uh, I so, got off. So what, where were oh, we? Oh, so, well, um, let's. Let's uh, let's dive into the the uh, actual chapters, and you have the you have the list of chapters. Explain yeah. the the table of contents and how the book is structured. And if you want, you can walk us through each chapter. Be careful, Bob, when you're sliding your papers over your laptop; like it's it's hitting your mic. 
Um, so either just don't slide them or, um, (laughs) you know, um, I'm a rookie podcaster. What can I say? It's okay. It's okay. Those are real sounds. I mean, my dog might bark any minute, so, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, let's, let's explain how the book is structured. So there's five chapters on, in part one, the, the first book and the righteousness of Christ. And then there's five chapters in part two, the second book and the power of the Holy spirit. So, uh, chapter one is the righteousness of Christ. This is where Jerry wrote just to establish what is the righteousness of Christ. I kind of went into that a minute ago. And then the motivation of the gospel. Okay, this begins chapter two. This begins how the gospel changes us. And and if there's anything that I've that's pretty consistent about my life, and that is I have so much gratitude for the gospel and specifically the price that it took to bring this righteousness to Bob Bevington. It took an infinite price. You can't write a check to bring the Son of God out of heaven, okay, to, to go on a cross and die for your sins. I mean, the, the, the value of his blood cannot be calculated. The, the value of his blood, it, it can't even be conceived. How, how, how costly, how, how uh, beyond imagination it is. And so when I see that that is what brought me into this righteousness, I got gratitude for that. It motivates me. And then it sets me free because the pressure to perform and my, you know, white white knuckle willpower that fails in and of itself when it's not connected to the second bookend, but I begin to see that, that his righteousness is all sufficient for me. It, it it changes everything. Now, then there's two gospel enemies under the first bookend, though. The, the first gospel enemy is self-righteousness. The second is persistent guilt. I got ahead of myself and mentioned that a little bit ago. But um, these are antithesis of the gospel. When we approach God and we say, hey, you know, look at me, okay? <laughs> look what I bring to the table. You know, we don't bring nothing to the table. You think you bring something to the table, it's a lie. Because um, if you bring any, look, you can't even breathe. You, 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 your heart doesn't beat without him. Okay, if you have any, if there's any truth, it's the truth that he's provided. If there's any strength, it's the strength that he's provided. So um, we have to be on our guard against gospel enemy number one, self-righteousness. And then the, it's flip side which is persistent guilt. They're both made out of the same stuff. I'm not, I'm good enough. I'm not good enough. Both of them are wrong. Mm. The truth is he's good enough. He's good enough. And he's, he's good enough in a way that um, is so reliable and doesn't change. And when he said it is finished, he meant it, you know? So um, those are the two gospel enemies under the first bookend. And then the chapter five is just leaning on the first bookend. In other words, how to apply it, how to apply it to our lives. Um, the, this, this little book has got, you know, that that's like the practical application of these ideas is in chapter five. And then in chapter 10, leaning on the second bookend. So, yeah. So what's, what's one of the takeaways in chapter five, like one of the practical, practical steps. And by the way, I just want to back up and say, uh, you know, Jim and I talk a lot on this podcast that the default setting of the human heart is self-justification. Mm-hmm. We are constantly trying to, it, it's in every human being. We want to justify ourselves. So, yeah. and it's all about self-centeredness. It's all about, it's all about us. Yeah. And you really don't understand the gospel um, if you're, if you're kind of trapped in that. And so many people go into Christianity, like they, they understand, okay, I need a savior. I can't save myself because maybe they're feeling that guilt. Um, but then they go right back to that self-justification as far as their, it's our default mode. Yeah. The Christian life. And so, so they live their Christian life and they're radically self-centered Christians. This is why you have to preach the gospel to yourself every day. And to get to your, the answer to your question, there's three focal points in chapter five, leaning on the first bookend, meaning the practical app. Leaning means dependence, reliance on, okay? The first focal point is seeing ourselves as desperately lost sinners. 
if you don't see yourself as a desperately lost sinner, then you don't see the truth about yourself because that's what you are. That's what I am. That's what we all are. We're desperately lost in and of ourselves without the first bookend. Focal point number two, seeing the righteousness of Christ as all sufficient for us daily. Okay, that's where preaching the gospel, the good news of this righteousness of Christ, that's where that comes in. But seeing is all sufficient. And then the uh, third is seeing and rejecting other functional saviors, other things that we rely on. And there's a little, uh, about a 10 uh, fill in the blank quiz to help you identify your quote unquote functional saviors, but guess what can't save you. And uh, that that's in, in that section there. And, um, and then there's some little stories and stuff in there, but I, I think that, um, yeah, the, the whole first bookend is covered in about 50 pages. So that, that was, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot more to it than, than that. And you can go on and on. But um, if you want something really succinct about it, you can't really get much more succinct without losing some essential points. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the second half of the book. Yeah. So you got the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, the first is, you know, Jerry in chapter six just lays it out. Here's what we mean by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit's a person. And that's important. Right. This is a personal God. A lot of times we think, personal, like, we, think like, we think about being a Jedi or something. Use the force. Don't don't you dare call the Holy Spirit an it. Okay. It's a it's a he, it's a him. And because he's a person. And so um, this personal power, you know, that's that's transferred to us by faith, by the way. Again, faith is what connects us to the power of the Holy Spirit. We connect to it by faith in him as a person, just like the righteousness of Christ. We connect by faith in the Son of God as a person. Okay, so then chapter 7, this, this, this is one that Jerry wrote called Dependent Responsibility. And this is where a lot of people get hung up over what do we do, what does he do? You know, what's our part, what's his part? And what you'll read in there is that we're 100% dependent and we're 100% responsible. Mm-hmm. It's not that sounds a, like that, that sounds like the hypostatic union of Christ that he was a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God. It's like yeah. mind blowing. It's just like Psh. yeah, oh yeah, and it's and this is you know, applying to us. You know, it's it's not like it's a 50-50 synergism. It's it's a hundred percent, hundred percent, and so I think that's a very helpful uh, chapter. Then chapter eight, I wrote, is the help of the divine encourager. I'm going to turn to these pages real quick because I think there's three. By the way, I, I wrote this and this was published in 2009. So um, I haven't actually gone back and read, <laughs> read it other than to put a, a seminar and everything together. But uh, life-changing gratitude for purchased grace. I think I mentioned that idea a minute ago. And then the expulsive power of a new affection. And this comes from Thomas Chalmers, very famous uh, 19th century sermon by that same title. Um, And then there's one more. Oh, yeah, the promises of God. So those are the ways that the divine encourager, meaning the Holy Spirit, these are the ways that his help comes to us. Um, and then the gospel enemy number three, which is chapter nine, self-reliance, Greg. Self-reliance is evil. You know, we're never meant to rely on ourselves. But yet, doesn't our culture teach us that? Doesn't our culture celebrate self-reliance? You know, the more you know, I'm a self-made man, all this stuff. You know, hey, did we did we forget how fragile we are? Did we forget that, you know? In and of ourselves, you know, there's no good thing. And so self-reliance is uh, an enemy. It's a gospel enemy. It's not good news. It's not what we should strive for. We should, we should strive for dependence on one person only, one being only, the being of the triune God in three persons. Every, every one of us was made to be dependent on him and anything else we're dependent on, including ourselves, 
is we're trusting in a lie. We're trusting in something or someone that can't save us. So anyway, that's chapter nine. Then chapter 10, again, is leaning on the second bookend. And um, let me see what that was. Oh yeah, this has three focal points also. Our desperate weakness in, in uh, applying the, the second bookend, the reliable power of the Holy Spirit, how reliable he really is, and then the rejection of self-reliance. So those are the points that the book ends on. And then the conclusion is the bookend's personal worldview. In other words, seeing life through these two lenses, the, you know, the righteousness of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, we, and we really found that Jerry and I began to talk in bookends language, like when we talked to each other. And then we realized that it had become a worldview. That's and, cool. And we really can see everything in life. And, and it kind of makes sense because the metaphor is all the books are all, you know, the things you do that are leaning. And um, and so that that's how the book ends. I like how, since you're an eye doctor, man, you really... <laughs> you understand yeah. the power of different lenses and and uh um as you look back on that on that book is there is there a, ch a chapter you would add or anything you would change no, about it no but i will say this you know jerry very famously said that in his book that sold over two million copies the pursuit of holiness that that there's a chapter that he An wished unwritten, he, yeah unwritten let's talk about that let's talk about that because he's not here to yeah, yeah. Interview. Did you, did you know what that, it is? I've told you this before. I, I know. I know what it is. I know what it yeah. is. Yeah. Guess and, what it uh, is? It's it, it's this book. It's this. This is his chapter that he wished that he had included at the end of uh, the. Explain why. Explain why. I think it's because he was afraid that people could misconstrue this pursuit of holiness as being a, uh, you know, kind of a willpower thing or, or something that. Uh, you can make happen and that you can, you know, pursue this holiness. You know, I mean, look, anybody who's tried to pursue holiness in a, you know, apart from these two bookends, I guarantee they haven't gotten very far. If they think they have, they're deluded. And I'm not just, I mean, I look, I'm deluded too. I mean, I, I'm the number one person I'm preaching to in this book and anything that comes out of my mouth. I mean, I know it applies to me. Right. And so I think he felt like, you know, he didn't say anything wrong in the book. He just didn't complete it to really show that it's this gratitude for the gospel. It's this gratitude for this gratuitous grace, this righteousness of Christ that we stand in, this power of the Holy Spirit that enables us. And um, that, that point didn't come across. And, and so he said, if he could just take this book and squeeze it in one chapter, he'd pop it into the the, uh, the back of that book. Was it was like all of his other books, by the way, every one of his other books, other than Trusting God, which is on the sovereignty of God, all of his gospel books would, would also fit the bill, you know, mm -hmm. for, for the chapter he wished he'd had written. Do you have any idea if it was ever really a serious consideration? Because I'm guessing the publisher, The Pursuit of Holiness, would consider a re uh what do you call it? what do you call it when you when you add something to a book uh like republish it or a re sequel you mean or um yeah i don't know um uh, pursuit of holiness too <laughs> yeah i mean uh do you know if that was ever in the works no not that i know of no, I, he I just wanted he to do independent it. independent um yeah independent books it was nav press's first really successful book and then they publish, other than the two that Jerry co-authored with me as a co-author through Crossway, all of his books were published by Nav Press. And if you look at books like Transforming Grace, that title, um, the one I mentioned before, The Transforming Power of the Gospel, uh, The Discipline of Grace, all of these books hit it, you know, hit, hit that. It just doesn't say that. Because, um, you know, it's kind of hard to recall all the books that, you know, you had a couple, you know, a million books out there. Right. Know, I think maybe that's why I, they they might have talked about it. I don't know. It's it's an interesting question. Well, in this last few minutes uh, before we wrap things up, let's talk about, um, you know, you had this. Um, so you've written five books. Is that right? Yeah, I, I wrote a book with Joe Coffey called Red Like Blood. It's like his memoir combined with mine. He's a pastor's kid who became a pastor and I'm a prodigal come home. 
And so it's interesting, each, we each write half of the, each chapter, and what's, you know, it's on a theme, each chapter's on a theme, but coming from where he's coming from and coming from where I'm coming from, we both end up at the same place. Guess where it is? The cross. That's cool. And that's, that was a little bit of a takeoff of the blue light jazz. Yeah, we were trying to be an answer to blue light jazz. And you I, know what? There's another one out there called brown light coffee. Oh, is it? Have you ever, you never heard of that one? Brown light coffee. It's oh. another kind of inter, in, intriguing book. It's, it's, uh, oh. um, it's it's an easy read, but it's not as good as uh, Red Like Blood, that's for sure. The, the so you was, I was going to say the subtitle is Confrontations with Grace. Hmm. That, you know, it's just not warm, fuzzy all the time. You know, sometimes it's really hard stuff. Yeah. And, and I like that whole well, idea you mentioned earlier that grace is costly, like costly grace. Grace, right. we, we think of grace as like, oh, it's just a free gift. Oh, you know, but it, it we hit... Part of the part of like really letting the gospel go deep in your heart is understanding the cost of yes. grace, because yes. then you're just filled with gratitude. Comes at a, an infinite price. So then, um, I also, by the way, that was published by Shepherd Press in 2011, and then I wrote a book on spiritual warfare called "The Good News About Satan: A Gospel Look at Spiritual Warfare" as a subtitle, and that was published by Cruciform Press, I think, in 2015. And then I spent five years writing a book. I eventually, yeah, there it is. I eventually um, self-published this book called Regarding Jesus, which I mentioned is you know, no longer available other than I could, anybody that wants a PDF copy, I can give it to them. I'm not sure where that's going to go, but um, um, that's kind of, you know, where my so-called writing career is as of this moment. I'm not sure what's next. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, like to, I'd like to write a book on dying to self, actually. That's that's where my eyes are riveted now in the scriptures, the blessings of, of dying to self. And by the way, Jimmy wrote a book called The Blessings of Humility. It's on the Beatitudes, and that book's available uh, available from Nav Press. That's interesting. Oh, so I wanted to let's let's talk about the relationship with with Jerry Bridges and how. Um, what it was like for you, like when he passed away or when you realized like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my friend. And then uh, what it was like the the few months and weeks after he passed away, how um, the impact, you know, he had on your life. Well, if any of your listeners want to really um, get an answer to that question, I spoke at his memorial service and it's on YouTube, Jerry Bridges Memorial Service. The whole thing's on there, by the way, he had some wonderful people speak uh, at it. But in uh, my uh, talk that I gave, I had a I had an excerpt of a voicemail that I saved. My last conversation on the phone with him, it was a voicemail. He had actually left me a, a, a message, you know, what do you call it? A voicemail. Yeah. yeah. Do you still have it? Yeah. Yeah. And so I played it. I actually had it put into the audio visual, you know, and, oh. Yeah, and he he talked about how you know he, I mean he was old. I mean he was like eighty six years old, right? So he you know he knew that you know he was getting close, and although he wasn't sick, he kind of died suddenly. But um, he he talked about you know he knows he's not his own. He's been bought with a price. That's what he said. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And he was he was talking about in the context of it that's not in the recording, a, a, a problem, a, a, a trial he was going through, something that was disturbing to him, and um, and that was his conclusion. It was just a beautiful surrender to God, you know, of 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 this angst and all you know all of the the uh, conflict you know that he was experiencing right up you know to the end. He was a really, really, really peaceful guy. So any kind of disturbance, you know, really rattled. Well, it didn't rattle his faith. It just, it hurt, you know. And uh, so at any rate, in the wake of him passing, um, you don't replace a guy like that in your life, right? So it's just been a void for me, you know, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm just so grateful that I had him in my life, you know, for those years and uh, some 15 or 16 years, I think it was. Yeah. And um, 
you know, very, very close, like a father, you know, a mentor, yes, but a father, a teacher, you know, a, a prayer partner, someone, you know, I could tell him anything, you know, and um, sometimes you talk to him like on a daily basis, right? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, he traveled all around the world. He wanted me to be praying for him when he spoke. And if he spoke in Australia, he wanted to be praying during the time that he was actually speaking. So he'd make, he'd take pains to tell me what time it was going to be, you know, and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, doesn't the Lord, if I, if I pray right now, won't it still count? Right. Right. <laughs> you couldn't tell him that, you know, he wanted to, he wanted the assurance you're praying while he's speaking, you know, that's pretty yeah. cool because I remember uh, a similar story with Billy Graham, like Billy Graham had these uh, two women, I think that started mm -hmm. it and probably grew from there, but, that they they nobody knew nobody ever knew who they were because they were never at the crusades they were never up front but they were in a hotel room praying during his crusades and they tra followed him around and um so i wonder if jerry kind of picked it up from from there but that's 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 pretty cool so you felt a void when he um when he passed away um but the the truths that he shared with you and obviously the truth of the gospel itself has never left you and you've never you never had a faith struggle since he passed have you well not not in the sense you're probably referring to i mean i right now you know my faith struggle is what does it really mean to apply philippians to you know have this mind in yourselves as well so in christ jesus and it goes on to say how he he just let let go he let go of his equality with God, his privileges and prerogatives of being equal with God. He took the form of a servant. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I mean, he humbled himself, right? And this is where I still, you know, where my struggle is, is still pride, still, you know, self-centeredness. Um, and how do you put that to death? I think Jerry knew that i think you know these books that we've talked about of his and the ones i've shared with him um it sets the groundwork but um what i'm where, where i'm at is not a not a, um, a crisis of faith other than just how can my faith really go deeper and really change me at a deeper level you never get past this you never get past these bookends everything is going to be within these two bookends that's why this book is so foundational but you know now it's like what does it really mean you know jesus said if anyone would come after me let him deny himself daily take up his cross and follow me you know what you know that isn't a, a verse that people like gravitate to because it's all warm and fuzzy that book sounds pain i mean that verse sounds painful so um you know, am I going to write a book on that? I don't know. I better figure out how to apply it myself first. <laughs> and it's hard, you know. You, you know, you'd think that dying is one of the easiest things a person can do is die, you know. But, you know, not when, you know, this, this self-centeredness, you know, wants to rear its ugly head all the time. And, you know, um, anyway, that's kind of my current, um, you know, study, my current focus. And, and I don't. I have books to help me, you know, right. Um, but I don't have people so much to help me. I mean, if you know, maybe you can help me. I, I appreciate any help you can provide on that. Uh, if someone were to ask you, what were your top five books? Or would, you, would you be able to like name them right off the top of your head? Glory of Christ by John Owen, number one. Uh, number two, Communion with the Triune God, the Crossway version. It's by John Owen, but it's edited by... Justin Taylor and Kelly Capick. Um, I would put George Smeaton's book, The Apostles' Doctrine of the Atonement, there. Um, so, uh, all, you know, three old dead guy books, right? The Letters of John Newton, I'd put in there. There's, you know, that's a fourth. Um, I've been reading Andrew Murray's book on humility. Um, I'm, I'm rereading it. Uh, you know, another old dead guy book. <laughs> I love Piper's books. I love Keller's books. I love Jerry's books. Right. There's All a lot of them. great, there's a lot oh. of great, a lot of great resources out there, but Piper. Oh, I, I got to mention one more though. Yeah, uh, go for it. Yeah. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, the assurance of our salvation. It's 628 pages on 26 verses of the Bible known as John chapter 17. 
Okay, this is an unbelievable life-changing book, The Assurance of Our Salvation by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Wow. Now, see, what I was going to say is these guys, John Piper and Tim Keller, who I'm, I'm, you know, really appreciating, they've impacted my life a lot. They mentioned the guys you, the guys you just mentioned, they, they refer to them a lot. So they're all the we're all standing, we're all standing on the shoulders of, of giants, yes. you know, uh, who come before us. Well, Bob, if people are interested in uh, getting in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, there is a website. It's called bobbevington.com. And it talks about, you know, I'm an optometrist, entrepreneur, consultant, author. It has little tabs for different things. It's not that up to date. I don't really do social media, Greg. I've got a Facebook with, you know, you know, I don't even know who these people are. So I don't really do that. I, I don't do Twitter. I think I have an account. But yeah, Bob at BobBevington.com is my email address. And then BobBevington.com is that website. So they can they can uh, contact me through BobBevington.com if they like. That's great. Well, Bob, thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, today. This is this was a this was awesome. It's going to be on publishing two different episodes. We're going to break it in half, and then I'll I publish uh, the first half on a Monday, then the second half on Wednesday, and then I publish the whole thing on Friday. So, um, uh, but thanks for being a guest with us, and thanks uh, for those of you listening. We have listeners from all over the world, Bob, Australia, Spain. It's 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 the thing that excites me the most about this podcast is that is the people that are listening from different countries, mm. um, African countries, European countries, um, you know, sometimes China, um, you know, Muslim countries. So it's, you know, some people probably never even heard of this book and they may just go out on the Internet and find it because of this conversation. The way the, the book is available in Korean, they, they, they published the book in Korean and I think Italian. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And then Jerry and I did an audio book of it where he read his part and I read my part. I think that audio book is available. Or maybe Tim Challies read it. On audible.com? Yeah. It's a, well, I think you can get it on, um, I think you can connect through Amazon. I, I don't know, but there is an audio book of it. I forget. I'm starting to think that maybe Tim Challies read that, but, uh, no, it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah. Kindle is another form that, you know, if people want a digital version of it, that's, I'm thinking about your overseas people that, you know, might be hard to get this book shipped. Um, but they can get Kindle versions of it, uh, and audio version if they're, if they're English speaking. So, yeah. Yep. Well, I hope you check it out. Um, if you're listening, I hope you, uh, We'll read the bookends of the Christian life by Bob Bevington. Thanks, Bob, for being on the show. And by Jerry Bridges um, and Bob Bevington. Yeah. That's right. Jerry Bridges, too. By the way, yeah. feel free to edit out any stupid stuff I said. Okay. So no, you don't need okay. my Just go ahead and edit it out. I'll do that. I, I don't think you said any <laughs> stupid stuff this time, but last time we were on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast.com at gmail.com stay tuned for our next episode and remember on your worst days you're never beyond the reach of god's grace and on your best days you're never beyond the need of god's grace see you next time